You could have knocked us down with a feather when we saw who walked in the door today. No, it's not Stephen Pritchard. It's an old friend of ours. Barry Preston is with us for finance today. Hello, Barry Preston. How are you? Fantastic. What about yourself? We're feeling great and so much better for having you with I'm, us. I'm, I'm lost. You. I'm lost. I had to get my GPS, whatever that means, it's been a while. and find where to park. And, it's and, so good to have and you. And here I am. It's... But I tell you what, it is uh, looking good. All the friendly, smiling faces. So good to have you back. Now, Just a little bit aged, though. I don't know yeah. why. What have you got for us? What have you got for us today? What are we up to? Well, I'm endeavouring to have a go at all the commodities. Yes. Uh, we're going to talk with Henry Jennings. And uh, I have a, a special guest that I often used to interview, Lynn Lucas from uh, Catherine Henry Partners. Now, Lynn is going to talk to us about aged care, being prepared and keeping in control. And we're going to look at some simple things that uh, Lynn has had some extensive training. With our world, it's all been a bit shaken up with what happened in France on the weekend. Has that impacted onto the markets? Look, once upon a time when these sort of things happened and the word war was mentioned, a lot of commodities would have headed north. But they're heading south, whether it's to do with the consumerism in China and that China's not firing as well as it should and the world economy's not firing as well as it should. What as well as it should means, I have no idea. Confidence has sapped in a lot of cases. Uh, the Eurozone, as Henry and I used to say, is zombie land. Um, look, I don't know. There's, there's lots of economists that have got different opinions. And me, being a, an ordinary sort of a guy, I just see things and think, well, that should be higher than that. But who knows? Let's have a look at some of the yeah, commodities. Let's do that. First of all, gold. Gold is uh, down $38 uh, to 1,499.51. And these are all in Australian uh, currencies. Silver, $19.82 an ounce, down 42 cents. Silver never moves that much, but one day somebody said it's going to because they believe it's been sold short. In other words, people have sold it that don't own it. How that happens? <laughs> Let's not go down that track. Copper, once upon a time, 9,650 US dollars it was. Well, it's now to 6,605 Australian. $412 Australian drop over the week. Nickel, $882 per tonne drop over the week to 12747 Now, once in, I think it was about 2007, it hit a huge amount of about $55,000 Australian per tonne. Now it's down to 12747 Tin, $315. I made a, a prediction on tin that it would be uh, a way higher than what it is at the moment, but it's only $20,686 per tonne. Currencies. Currencies, interesting. Um, US dollar, we've, um, we've uh, dropped a little bit against the US currency over the last week. A smidgen. It's not even worth talking about. I think it's about 0.0 of a, or 0.6 of a cent, so it's not worthwhile talking about. $71.21 Australian per US dollar. British pence, 46.74. That's down slightly, not even uh, uh, 1%. The Chinese currency, 4.5465 per Australian dollar. That's uh, strengthened against the Australian dollar by 0.137%. Not much. When you're talking, yeah. we're only talking in one piece, one currency or one dollar or whatever the case may be. When you're talking in big amounts, that, uh, that can be a fairly big uh, uh, cost or profit, whatever you're doing, buying or selling. New Zealand dollar, the New Zealand dollar is 1.096 per Australian dollar. That's again strengthened. We've, um, that's gone up, I think, about by uh, 0.6%. <clears throat> Interesting. Euro, the New Zealand economy is doing quite well, I think, because they increased the GST. Oh, good. Whether that's the case or not, I don't know. But they don't have a lot of 
state governments yeah. over there, I don't think either. I don't know. They're, yeah. they're not over governed. Yeah. Did I say that? You did. Yeah, fair enough. The euro, uh, 0.66 uh, to the Australian dollar. That's gone up 1.25%. That's probably the biggest change over the week. And the Canadian dollar, 0.94 to the Australian dollar. Uh, or sorry, 0.94 Australian to the Canadian dollar. That one dropped approximately 0.02%. Really very little change in the currencies. <clears throat> but the world indices, the stock markets, the Australian market uh, – uh, has uh, increased extremely, what, 0.15% over the week, not very much at all. The US uh, market is up 0.19%, and the US market is very near its all-time high. Strange, and a lot of the other markets are fairly low. Why? Probably because all that money they pumped into America. Where it's gone, who knows? Uh, the NASDAQ is up 0.16% to 5,075. The UK FTSE down 0.28% to 6,278. The Japanese Nikkei, which once upon a time was over 38,000 points, is 19,649. That's down 0.21. And the Hang Seng, 22,188. That is also down 073 and the oil prices, we'll have a little bit of a look at those. The oil prices, the West Texas Intermediate, $58.99 a barrel. That's uh, down $3.71 Australian. The Brent Crude, $62.18 per barrel. That's down $2.70. So the price of oil is coming down compared to... to uh, uh, other, a lot of, well, a lot of other commodities are coming down And as far as oil. Yeah. Once upon a time, if there was war, oil would shoot up because they would think that yeah, it was going to be cut off and all that sort of stuff. Hmm, interesting. Unleaded. Newcastle, 129.1. If you're in Maitland, it's 118.9. Now, how that costs 10 cents a litre uh, to go from here to there, I wouldn't have a clue. Newcastle, um, sorry, the Central Coast, 129.1. Newcastle, 128.6 cents a litre. Sydney, 117.1. In actual fact, Newcastle, uh, sorry, Sydney has dropped 13.7 cents over the week. That's a big movement. Mm, big how did that happen? I don't know. And the Central Coast Diesel, 128.6. That's very little change. Newcastle, 128.6. And Sydney, 122.8. Very little change in diesel. And remember when once upon a time diesel was a heck of a lot more expensive yeah, than, yeah. than petrol? And, of course, if you're travelling down to Bega, it's probably got the cheapest in the state, 116.1 for unleaded. Before we go to our special guest, we have got your disclaimer. Comments made during our program are made in general discussion. You must always seek your own advice and a product disclosure statement should be obtained and considered before obtaining a financial product. Staff associated with Pritchard and Partners may trade shares that we mention. Our Pritchard and Partners Financial Services licence is 246712. Henry Jennings, how are you? I'm very good, Barry. How are you? Fantastic. Tell me, you're still in that biggest parking lot in the, in, in the country, aren't you, Sydney? I am indeed, and uh, I, unfortunately I have to struggle with the traffic from time to time, yes. <laughs> like every day? <laughs> yeah, no, no, well, no, not every day these days, no. It's uh, a lot better. I work uh, around five minutes from home, which is uh, considerably better. You could walk to work? I could, and sometimes do. Fantastic. Anyway, it's great to, to uh, uh, say hello to you again. Henry, look, let's have a look at some of the things that are happening in Australia. BHP, sure. yeah. I believe the annual general meeting will be on now. This apparently is going to be... An interesting exercise in damage control. Why is that? Well, BHP, um, I mean, most people have, uh, have probably at some stage had BHP in their portfolio, if not now, 
still holding it. It has been um, somewhat of an um, underperformer, to put it mildly, in the last uh, few years, and it's just nudging that $20 level. They've got a number of issues. The biggest one, of course, is the, uh, the slump in commodity prices, especially the slump in iron ore, which is really hurting them. But recently they've had some problems and some very well-publicized problems with a tragic mine disaster in Brazil, which is uh, a 50-50 joint venture they have with, uh, with Vale. Um, various costs are going to be associated with cleaning this up, so it's not going to be much fun for BHP. I'd imagine the AGM today, which is going to be in Perth, is going to focus on the dividend as well. Um, they have what they call a progressive dividend policy, which means that every year it goes up. Now, you remember <laughs> that BHP, during, the, um, during the, the, the good times when they were making a mozza out of uh, selling iron ore and other resources, were really, really stingy with their dividends, and they were criticised a lot. And now when they're making very little out of selling their minerals and, and metals around the world, they are being very generous, and they, the yield is over um, 8% fully franked, which is, um, which is somewhat crazy. And they're, they're in a position now where Telstra was in, where they're actually having to borrow money um, to pay the dividend, which is uh, kind of crazy, if you ask me. BHP is borrowing to pay their dividend. Well, it looks that way, yes. Oh, uh, fair enough. They're issuing debt because the cash they're getting in from their normal business does not cover the dividend payments they are making. Maybe they put the hat around or something. Is that what they do? I don't well, know. Well, I'd imagine that at some stage they are going to have to uh, start talking about that, that dividend policy being, um, being knocked on the head and maybe moving to, instead of a progressive dividend policy, in some sort of payout ratio, which would be a far better thing. So you know, if they said that we'll pay out 60% of our profits, um, in the good times, shareholders will do well, and in the bad times, shareholders will uh, share the pain as well. Mm-hmm. Wow, wow, wow. Surprise. CBA chief stressed there's an increased competition in the financial technology startups with low-cost tech companies targeting their customers. Uh, surprised? Yeah, not really, no. Um, I'm surprised it's taken the banks this long to actually enunciate that sort of thing, but we've certainly seen um, a lot of um, small stocks and small um, startups targeting uh, the bank's customers in things like payment systems, um, you know, being able to transfer small amounts of money between people. Um, and we've also seen uh, a lot of competition in home lending, and we're now we're seeing peer-to-peer business lending. Um, so it's, um, it's an interesting space, and I think... You know, the, the banks are doing their best to try and fend off the competition, but um, you know they, they, these are big businesses, and it's very hard to turn around a super tanker, unfortunately. So um, it takes time, and it takes um, takes a very disciplined and focused management. So uh, we'll see if these guys have, uh, have have got the goods. Talking about that, CEO, Chief Executive, salaries have been under the spotlight. Now, apparently it's good to see some shareholders pushing back on executive remuneration. That's a word that I find it challenging to say. Very well to get that one out, man. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, a lot of people think, oh, these guys sit in big ivory towers and so forth and go out to lunches and all that, but it ain't that easy. There's a heck of a lot of work compliance and uh, challenges. Yes, some of their salaries are exorbitant. What do you think?
three years. <laughs> yes. Now, by the time that the, the three strikes have come about, most of the executives have taken huge amounts of money out of the business and don't really care because they're probably moving on anyway. Mm. So um, it does take these three strikes at three AGMs, and AGM being an annual general meeting means that, you know, as I say, three years down the track is when they start to feel the pinch, and they can do a lot to um, to make shareholders happy in the meantime, especially if the share price increases. But um, but certainly it, the um, the remuneration is uh, out of whack. I think with uh, with with what's uh, what's realistic these days. A couple more questions before we take a break. Mm. Uh, Arium, I believe it's uh, it's been a stunning success story. Not. Oh. Yes, I mean, poor old Arium. You have to feel so. I mean, you have to feel sorry for uh, for these people in, in mining. And I have to say, I've always had a, a bit of an issue with miners because um, you know, they spend gazillions of dollars searching for stuff. Huge amounts of money ramping up production and building plants to process and dig it up and ship it and all the other stuff. And they forget to do one critical thing, is that they have no idea at the end of the day how much they're actually going to receive for their products. Mm -hmm. There can't be too many businesses in the world where you would would spend that kind of capital and have no idea what price you're going to get for your your car or your, your widget or whatever. I mean, it's like Toyota investing in a new model and then being told by somebody who um, doesn't make Toyotas, that actually you're going to have to sell that car for 10 bucks. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's just crazy. Um, you know, and and the, the commodity markets allow companies to hedge their uh, production and lock in prices, but nobody seems to do it. It just amazes me. Um, and Arium, of course, is, is, is exposed to the iron ore uh, price. They went on a big spending spree, and uh, Peter Smedley, which is the departing chairman, spent $1.8 billion, well, spent uh, a lot of money and ended up with $1.8 billion of debt um, for a company that's only got a market cap of about 240 Wow. So those numbers yeah. don't add up, do they? No, 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 so no, they, no, no. They last raised some money at uh, 48 cents. I think they're now around 8 cents. They raised nearly $800 million at 48 cents. I mean, this is just value destruction. And all the miners are guilty of this because they do not hedge the most important part of their business, which is how much money they're going to receive for the commodity they produce, which seems absolutely mad. But there you go. See, once upon a time, graziers never even insured their crop, but I think they can now, can't they? I think they can. Yeah, and, and that's... The, whole, the whole point of futures markets, and, and futures markets in Australia started up with greasy wool futures, so that it allowed our biggest industry at the time, which wasn't iron wool, which was mm. the sheep's back, to be able to hedge their production and, and their, the price they received so they could lock in their profits. Now, all that went out the window and got very unfashionable because investors said, no, 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 we don't want you to hedge. We want to be exposed. Oh. We want to be exposed to the upside. And gold companies that used to hedge got punished mm. and then they unwound their hedging books. Mm. Newcrest did it. They actually raised money from shareholders to unwind their hedging books. Mm. I mean, it's mad. It's absolutely mad. The time you should be exposed, I believe, is on a nudist beach. Is that the only time? I think that's, that's the only right. time, well, unless you've got a camera. Okay. <laughs> Here's something I've never heard of this before. You may have, because uh, you certainly move around a lot. And uns- this is Oz Forex, and we'll talk about yep. that in a moment. Unsolicited, non-binding, indicative proposal. What does that mean? <laughs> it means um, show us the show us the books, and we'll tell you if we like what we see. Um, this is the new black, I guess, in, in takeover terms. It's it's quite scary. When I when I was a, a young man growing up in uh, in the markets in in the UK, 
okay. I mean, takeovers were sort of fairly done and dusted. You just yes. lobbed some money on the table and said, no, that's the bid, take it or leave it. Um, and the market then made the assessment. Nowadays, you get these um, non-binding, uncondition- <laughs> lots of conditions, uh, lots of everything kind of uh, bids that get rumoured and then they get put on the table. And basically, it's a tactic for the, uh, for the acquirer to engage with the company um, and have a look at their books, make sure there's nothing that they don't, uh, don't like, and then kind of get a board recommendation, all nice and cosy, uh, of the price. But it's, it's a very strange way of doing it. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, we, we've seen this with Santos. Santos had a similar proposal, non-binding, uh, lots of conditions. You know, we don't really mean it. We haven't really got the money. We don't really know what we're doing. But <laughs> we thought we'd have a chat anyway. Yeah. Um, at $6.88 from a, from a private equity group, and, mm. and that's gone away, and the Santos share price collapsed to $4, whatever, 20 30 40 So mm. um, it's interesting. It's, it's a, a funny way of doing things, but it is the new way of doing The new norm. It is the new black. Henry, I mentioned uh, when we were talking about commodities before that the demand for iron ore, oil, gold, copper, they seem to be heading south. But with the mention of war in the news, unfortunately, once upon a time, these guys, the uh, commodities would head north. What, what's, what's the difference? What happened? Well, uh, well it's, the, it's the new black again, Barry. Well, we're, in a, we're in a brave new world. It's, oh. um, the problem that commodities have got is not so much the demand side of things, which is, which is not as strong as people would like, but it is the oversupply We've got major miners and oil companies and lots of commodity producers around the world just digging up stuff like there's no tomorrow and, and replacing high commodity prices with, with high volume and still getting the same cash but just having to ramp up production to do so. So in this environment with this supply glut um, around the world, it's hard to see um, any kind of uh, any uptick soon in commodities. Of course, the U.S. dollar strengthening also is hurting commodities as well, but but the old days where we saw some you know some good old fashioned uh, volatility and some some more action on, and uh, being taken in the Middle East and things you used you used to get a pop in the oil price, you used to get a pop in the gold price, um, but that doesn't really seem to be the, the norm anymore. It's uh, it's a very different world. Even when we saw um, all the volatility back in August and September in the markets, gold was stubbornly doing very little. Really, it was, um, mm. it was very disappointing for the gold bulls. Okay, well, while we're talking about those sort of things and we're looking in the U.S. area, the Fed, the Federal um, Reserve over there, they're talking about interest rates. Now, they're talking these up. Uh, won't be a big jump, probably 0.25, but uh, the market's a little bit rattled about this. Yes. I mean, the markets, have, we've all got, there's a whole generation of, of traders and investment, or well, fund managers, really, that for the last um, seven or eight years have seen interest rates at pretty much zero under the, uh, the zero interest rate policy or the ZERP. Um, we're coming to an end of that little policy, and the, the U.S. Uh, Fed has said that they are looking to normalize interest rates. Now, what <laughs> normalize means, I'm not really sure. Um, but the market has a small tantrum and a hissy fit every time we see the Fed um, doing this, or at least attempting to do this. And at the moment, we're looking at a December rate rise of about 25 basis points, which is negligible. It's tiny. It won't make any difference to the U.S. economy. What will make a difference to the U.S. economy, though, is the fact that the Fed has said that this is the, the step in the path to normalization. And people are worried that that means 25 3% interest rates and that the Fed will have to raise rates 
uh, over a period of time. Now, the Fed has said that they will do this very, very gradually. I think they will do it at a glacial pace. Mm. I think it will move so slowly you will hardly even notice it. Um, and I think the new normal, like the new black in lots of other things, is, um, is going to be um, very low rates for some time to come. It may be that we don't have zero rates. It may be that the U.S. has half a percent of interest rates, but I think that will be a, a long time um, in, in place. The U.S. economy is still fragile, mm-hmm. and it does have big effects on emerging markets and other economies around the world as well. So mm-hmm. they will be reluctant to, uh, to shoot the, um, the goose that lays any golden eggs. Reading from one of your reports, 39 oil tankers are waiting near Galveston, Texas. That's a good song, that Galveston. And it's up from 30 in May. Now, also, I'll ask you another question, but what does that mean? And also, the Baltic Dry, you mentioned that it's a canary in the coal mine. What does that mean? Well, the, uh, the, the Galveston is very much like, I guess, Newcastle um, for you guys. I mean, I remember the time when you used to peer out the window on the northern beaches and there would be ships as far as the eye could see stacked up ready to take coal up to China. That, those days seem to have gone either through more efficiencies or, uh, or the fact that the demand is not there. And in the U.S., in Texas, the port of Galveston is very much um, the port where all the oil uh, is shipped out of now. They've run out of storage. They're producing so much oil um, that they've actually run out of storage in the U.S. And as a result, they're storing them in tankers. And these, <laughs> these tankers are, are laid up off the coast of, uh, of Texas so that if, uh, if demand picks up, they can whip back in and, and deliver their oil back into, into the refineries at Galveston. So it's, um, it's a bit of a sign that you know, storage is, is in short supply, whereas oil isn't. And around the world, we're seeing this glut, the Saudis, pumping record amounts, the U.S. still producing a lot. So um, it, is, um, it is quite um, quite worrying for the oil price. The, the Baltic Dry Index, of course, is the, is the measurement of uh, the cost of transporting dry commodities around the globe in tankers. So this applies to things like iron ore and coal, and it's usually seen as a good measure of global growth and global trade. Now, at the moment, the Baltic Dry Index has uh, been whacked again as... Um, a combination that, again, we, we're seeing this excess supply of uh, tankers and, uh, and lack of demand really hurting the cost of uh, shipping this around the world. You know, there, there, was a big, um, there was a big run of people building new super tankers because the, the, uh, the global growth was never going to end. China was going to keep on going. Well, it hasn't, and now there's lots of super tankers and not so much demand. Henry, uh, been very, very interesting and, and great to catch up with you again. Always a pleasure, Barry. Love to talk to you as usual. Do hope uh, you keep well, keep safe and keep smiling and keep, keep the money in the wallet these days. Is that right? Oh. No? Get out and invest. I think there's, uh, there's always good opportunities out there. Always, always. Keep safe, Henry, and remember that parking lot. Take some comics to read or something. Yes. Thanks, Barry. Bye. It's fantastic to be able to introduce this uh, lady, Lynn Lucas from Catherine Henry Partners of 133 King Street in Newcastle. Now, Lynn is is an expert on this subject of aged care, being prepared and keeping in control. Now, I believe, Lynn, you had some extensive study in the US of A. Is that correct? Uh, Yes, and good afternoon, Barry. Nice to hear you again. Lovely. Yes, I did go across to the States in October of last year and it was mainly to do some intensive training in elder mediation. Uh, I've been a mediator for over 20 years, but um, elder mediation is a specialised field. It's a growing industry in the States and Canada. They're way ahead of us with all sorts of aged care issues. 
and uh, I couldn't find anywhere in Australia to do that specialised training. So uh, I went across to um, Orlando in Florida and mm-hmm. had a couple of days intensive training over there. And uh, that really means that I'm one of a very few elder mediation um, or mediators in Australia at the moment. Mm, well, that's great to know. And in Newcastle too. Lynn, aged care, it's a subject for discussion that seems to get put off, um, in most cases with families, until the last minute and then bingo, all hell breaks loose. So what are the benefits in early planning and what do we mean by early planning? Well, you're quite right. It's, it's a low priority for a lot of people to get matters um, organised, and, and that's what I do say. Be prepared and stay in control for as long as you can. So the benefits in early planning is that you'll have all of these documents prepared. Um, hopefully talk to the family about what your wishes are as you're getting older. So if there is an emergency, everybody's ready. Everybody knows what they have to do. Um, otherwise, if, if an emergency arises and these things haven't been put into place it, uh, it, it can cause a lot of, a lot of um, grief and um, worry for the family It's more or less a word that I use if only, if only if you've got it in, you don't need it but if only something happens you're prepared. Now having a will and regularly updating it first preparing a will and the importance of getting the correct wording I use one that, uh, a will that says I leave my house and contents to my family I leave my house contents to my family. Where's the house gone? One little word. Not a good idea to prepare it yourself. Well, it, it's it's not really. I mean, lawyers have years of study before they're they're prepared to to practice and work in these areas. So, uh, the danger, quite often, with prepared wills by clients is that it, they can be misinterpreted. Um, they always don't make um, provision for things that may happen. For example, if a beneficiary named in the will has died, um, has there been any provision made? What happens if that uh, person is not there? It could cause a partial intestacy. And any, William, uh, any um, problems that arise with wills means costs. So it's a very costly process to, to have them sorted. Okay, now look, the importance of reviewing your will. You just reviewing your will. You just went through a couple of things there. Um, why would you, as you said, you have to review it, and it's a good idea to review it. But it's a good idea to go back to whoever did it for you first to review, or or what? What's um, no, it, that that doesn't matter. I mean, normally I advise my clients to to get their documents out. I mean, these these documents are not things that you have done. You put in the drawer and forget all about them. It's important that they're all reviewed on a regular basis because circumstances can change. And uh, we we do have more complex families these days. We have blended families. There's half-siblings and um, stepchildren. And particularly with older couples who might remarry and they've each got um, adult children, it's really important that they sit down and talk about these things um, with, with an experienced um, estate planning lawyer to make sure that their wishes will be carried out. Lynn, one more question before we go for a little break and then we've got some more. How important – that's basically the deceased area of uh, estate planning, I think. What about the importance of one appointing an attorney? Now, how do you select one or two or three attorneys and why do you appoint an attorney? Well, the attorney is a person who will manage your financial um, affairs if you're not capable of doing that. 
Uh, and quite quite a lot of people think, oh, I, I really should appoint my children and maybe all of my children. What my advice is, appoint the most appropriate person. So it, it might be one of the kids who um, are more astute financially or, um, you know, might be an accountant even. And it's, it's really important that you would choose the most appropriate person to do that because it's a very important job uh, looking after your finances if you're, you're not able to do it. And not all family members are, are in a position to do that. Lynn, we're going for a small break and then we'll come back and there's a couple more questions that uh, we'd like to ask concerning uh, estate planning. We are talking aged care and being prepared with our special guest, Lynn Lucas. And we're talking with Lynn Lucas, who is an expert in this area. Lynn, I'm going to meld two questions into one because that old man time has caught up with us again. (laughs) The importance of appointing a guardian. Also, if one has an attorney, is there any need for a guardian? And the next one, consider an advanced care directive. What is it and why? Okay, well a guardian and an attorney are two different roles. So the attorney looks after financial matters if you're unable to do that and a guardian looks after health and lifestyle decisions. So they, they are two separate roles. It's important too to tell listeners that if they don't have either of those documents and the need arises, it's the uh, public trustee and guardian who, who will come in and take over those roles and nobody really wants that. It's much much better to have a family looking after to those sorts of issues. Now, the Advanced Care Directive is basically an end-of-life document. This is a, a subject that Australians feel find very, very hard to discuss, and I can understand that. But it's also looked upon as being having that conversation with your family, and this is a gift to your family. You're saying to your family, this is what I want to happen at the end of life, so don't be guilty about making decisions that you feel, I, I don't want. This is what I want, so everybody knows, and Everyone knows what they need to do um, when that time comes. So they're two entirely different things but extremely important for the person who is in the position to have their wishes carried out. Yes, like insurance policies. You hope you never have to call on them, but <laughs> if something happens, um, everybody's um, you know, very relieved that, that you've organised it all. And very quickly, as we end our interview, Lynn, as we know, there will be times when there will be some family disputes as aged care is a major lifestyle change. So planning is important, letting loved ones know what's happening. Absolutely, yes, yeah. Things are much more complex now than they were several generations ago, and it's really important that your family know what you want. And again, it's, it's being prepared, keeping in control. And nothing to be feared or frightened of. No, no, that, that's quite right. And, and it is a gift to your family because lots of people, um, you know, at the end of their parents' life, they're not quite sure whether they've done the right thing. You know, is this the sort of funeral mum wanted or, you know, <laughs> is this really what dad wanted? So talk to them and, um, and then ev- everyone's um, feeling, yes, we've done the right thing. That's the main thing, I think, because there's a lot of people who say, oh, we've done, done the right thing or not. But Exactly. Plan up front. Lynn uh, Lucas from uh, Catherine Henry Partners, thank you very much indeed for uh, telling us uh, about the aged care, which we're all heading towards, even if we're young. (laughs) We're not going to avoid it. (laughs) You can avoid taxes but suffer the consequences, but you can't avoid this one. And it's it's really nice to know that you can grow old as well, that you're still around. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Lynn. Keep safe. My pleasure. Thank you.
And talking about a pleasure, it's been an absolute pleasure having you back here again, Barry. We've missed you, but Barry Preston, we're almost out of time. Thank you so much for Finance Today. And thank you very much for listening, everybody. Keep safe. Most important, keep safe. And not too far away today, it's Business, the Law and You. We will have Julian Campbell with us at 2NURFM.